So this afternoon, we're going to begin the training uh, in the cultivation of a more balanced and spacious mind and heart in relationship to the events that happen in our lives, the outer events and the inner events of our lives. Sometimes uh, equanimity, which is the practice we're going to do this afternoon, is described as this spacious inner balance, a spacious inner balance. So it doesn't mean that we're trying to really just stay on this razor's edge of not falling to this side or not falling to that side, but that our hearts and minds can be big enough to accept all that we experience in our lives without getting kind of knocked around by it, so that we have that kind of spaciousness, but also a balance that is a wide stance, like a mountain, that can be very steady in the, in, with whatever weather patterns are happening at the time. So this is equanimity, or non-reactivity. Non-reactivity is the, uh, what is called the far enemy or the direct opposite of equanimity. And what we'll be practicing here today is to develop that kind of mind and heart that is less and less reactive to the events of life. So reactivity being the direct opposite of equanimity, it's categorized, uh, it has two categories actually. The first one of reactivity is aversion. So any ways in which we react to life with aversion, with judging or blaming or um, even frustration, impatience, these are ways that we can react to what's happening the outer events of life. We can also react with attachment or clinging the ways when something we want uh, or we like that is happening, we obsess about it, we cling to uh, that it should be that way or that it could be that way. And we spend a lot of energy of the mind and the heart uh, going after it. It's so... um, it covers the mind and the heart so thickly that we really can't see clearly. We can't really have some wise discernment or some space to discern how can we handle this situation. So those are the two parts of the direct opposite, which is reactivity. The habit patterns of reactivity, reactivity as we see them happen, we, just in the quietness of a retreat here, we can see more of it going on at subtle levels in our minds and our hearts. They run pretty deep, and they're really strong, and they're really quick. I, I'm not saying that because I perfected it, but I see it still going on in my own practice, and there's a great need to really uh, stay vigilant with the ways that the mind reacts to life in this way. There's no time to assess clearly. That's what I find about reactivity. I don't have enough time to assess what's going on. I can't even take it in for a moment and say, as we might say with equanimity, this is how it is right now. It's just that we so quickly react in ways that cause more pain to ourselves and others. But of course, there are a lot of times when we need to act or react swiftly or respond swiftly to help ourselves or to help others. I'm not talking about those times. I'm talking about the times when we react with aversion or attachment and we don't have enough space or pausing in the mind to look at what's going on and then to respond. It may be in the next second or the next minute. It doesn't have to be, you know, after an hour or a day, but uh, it's giving ourselves time to respond to life in a better way. The default settings of our minds, you know, like they say, knowing ourselves is not always good news. As we're here, we see a lot 
of what's going on. And, and, and that in itself, you know, brings reactivity, like, am I a good yogi or I can't do this? And yeah, that's another level. But the default settings of our minds are such that we fall into them so easily, so quickly, because the habit patterns run strong and deep. And there is such a deep, what one yogi called, cow path of the mind. You know, if you've seen paths where cows walk all the time, you see there's this, you can barely see it sometimes when I'm walking on Maui in the fields. I barely see the path there because it's, it's really so thin because somehow, even with those four legs, that, that cattle can make such a, you know, a straight line in, in the field that you can step into it and fall into it so easily. And it's quite deep sometimes. So the cow paths of our mind and heart are so deep and we can't see it on, in our pathway so easily. For example, many times we see something or read something or we just experience something in life which we've had for a long time an automatic reaction to and right away our minds and hearts go into that cow path or that default setting and we react with some form of deep grief because we see the world in the way that it always is and it doesn't ever change or still all these hungry children in the world. That's the part that gets to me a lot. Or we see something in our own families or a loved one. You know, it, it just keeps going on and on and on. And we react with anger or with deep sadness or frustration or like, oh, this will never end. You know, that kind of uh, delusion, that thought that's filled with delusion, not seeing that things really change. This immediately happens, this judging of what's going on or this painful reactivity. And um, we've, of course, we end up feeling terrible about it. And maybe we see something we like, on the other hand, something that's very pleasant for us. Of course, there's nothing wrong with going after it. Nothing wrong, especially if we see that it's beneficial for ourselves and others. But there are times when we, ha- we see something we want or something we like, and our minds automatically go towards clinging. And again, clinging is accompanied by delusion. So is aversion, accompanied by a lot of delusion. And so we can't see clearly. All we do is obsess about it. And this can go even in retreat. Um, There have been plenty of times I've heard in retreat about VRs or Vipassana romances, you know, where there's something we see about somebody or just even hear the way that person um, articulates in the hall or sometimes it's just the way a person walks. I don't know. You know, I've had little ones myself along the way. Um, And right away the mind starts clinging or obsessing about the whole thing, just thinking about where is that person now? Is uh, is that person nearby? Or, you know, I hope that that person sees me or I hope I see that person, you know. All this kind of stuff that goes on right in retreat. Or, you know, we just hope they'll make those cookies again and we can't (laughs) stop thinking about it because it was so pleasant to have it. So it's, it's, not, it's no worries if it's just a small thing, but it's when it gets into that suffering of, upset, of being obsessed about something. We know both this aversion or attachment is a lot of suffering. It's really, really painful. Or we think something should be in a certain way in the world or in our families or with our loved ones, and we're, we're so wanting it to be in that way that it's very painful. Either we so want it to be that way or we don't want it to be that way. You know, we go one way or another with even the same situation. I know even when I do the loving kindness, I know that I'm not having really unconditional loving kindness when I think about one of my family members and it's the same thing over and over again with that person and my, my um, offer 
of loving kindness is like, may you please be peaceful. (laughs) It's not with equanimity at all. It's not that spaciousness that understands this being has their own journey. I don't have control over their journey. It's they have their own way of bringing themselves out in the world. So more about that later as we go on. So there's a, there's a lot of pain because of reactivity. And just in the example I gave just now, we can see why re, uh, equanimity is so important in our metta practice, because it, gives, it really gives us that spacious balance to even if that person is the way that person is, I can still offer loving kindness. I can still offer my love. It doesn't matter. You know, of course we, we're not happy when things are this way or that way, or we cling to the way things are when they're happy. But even through all of this, we can still offer our unconditional love. This is how equanimity is so important in metta. It makes metta unconditional. That's what's so powerful about equanimity with loving-kindness. So things happen that we can't really control. We have influence over, and sometimes a lot, and sometimes a little influence. But a lot of times we see with our own life, things occur. We didn't even see it coming, and it's already happening. And we tend to blame and react and judge others and ourselves. And when there is some uh, equanimity, we're just more spacious about it. We, can, we have the ability to accept that moment, that temporariness of that moment, and say, okay, this is the way it is right now. And then we can say, what can I do about it? Based on that clear acceptance. Not a resignation, not a weakness, not like, oh, I can't do anything about this, not being a doormat, but really just taking a moment to clearly accept what's going on. Instead of falling into those varying degrees of pushing away, striking out at, closing down, holding on so tightly, or obsessing, you know, all these ways of attachment and aversion. So the mind and the surroundings are so consumed sometimes by reactivity in the forms of anger, clinging, or being shut down in grief that we can't see clearly. There's no clarity or room for wise discernment. That's why we need equanimity, so that we give ourselves a chance to make the right choice, so that we give ourselves a chance to uh, be the architect of our future instead of being the victim of our past and the present moment's experience that has come up. So this, what I just talked about, is reactivity mostly to outer events. Um, We may be so focused and riveted on the outer events of life that we don't see what's going on inside. So this is why we do this kind of practice that we're going to do today and the next two days, so that we develop the habit of not only paying attention to the outer event, But in the practice that we'll do this afternoon and the next days, I want to develop the habit in all of us, and in myself too, to also turn to what's going on inside, to check out the inner event, and to not fail, to not minimize that. It's because we're so attuned to the outer event that we don't know what's going on inside of ourselves. So... I'm going to be turning the attention, there's going to be a two-level equanimity here, turning the attention not just to the outer experience, but to the inner experience, and to notice more subtly what's going on. Because so many times our inner um, reactivity to the outer event, say it's anger, the inner reactivity to the outer event, but we're not paying so much attention to the inner experience. And what happens is that we develop reactivity or another layer of pain to what's going on inside. 
Say, for example, we get angry, and maybe it isn't even expressed, but we, we feel the anger inside. And then right after that, we feel ashamed. It's another layer of pain because we're, we don't have equanimity with regard to this, the inner experience. Or we feel uh, guilty, not a very healthy response to what's going on. Remorse is okay, but we oftentimes feel guilty. Or we feel that we're so out of control that we, you know, we're just frustrated. We can't do anything about it. So we get kind of locked in, not so much by the outer event, but we can get locked in to what's going on, all confused, tied up in knots with what's going on inwardly. So uh, this is why we attend to the different layers, not just to the outer events, but to what's going on inside. And at times you won't be able to suss them apart. The outer event has so much to do with our inner workings and so forth and so on. Um, but just you know, try to turn the attention more specifically to how it's being directed. And if it attunes to the other place, when we're with the inner event, that's okay. Just try to pay attention as much as you can to that, more specifically the inner or whatever we're pointing to, to the outer. So I want to say that this practice is not like the usual practice of equanimity where we're pervading equanimity to ourselves or we're radiating like metta. May you be equanimous, you know, may your heart be as big as the world, that kind of thing like we do in metta, where we're wishing well. We're not doing a kind of wishing well here to offer out there. It's really different. What we're doing in this practice of non-reactivity is we're developing that in relationship to what goes on outside and what goes on inside. So we're really taking or remembering events that we get um, triggered by. And we're practicing offering uh, or developing, not offering, developing equanimity in our hearts in relationship to that outer event. And then when we go to finding out what's going on inwardly, we're developing equanimity towards what's happening in our own hearts. So for example, when we see layers of attachment or aversion, can we open to that? Can we say, okay, this is how it is in my own heart? So we'll use practices and phrases where we're really um, addressing the cultivation of equanimity towards ourselves and towards what goes on in the world around us. So that's a a really different feeling. Um, And I'll be directing you so you don't have to think about that so much. I'm going to be using different phrases, like, for example, this is how it is right now. And I want to emphasize the right now part, because if we just say this is how it is, we get this kind of um, overlay of delusion. This is how it is now, and this is how it'll be forever. So we really want to understand that this is how it is right now. These are the uh, conditions that are unfolding to make this moment the way it is. Can we just open to that? Can we just face that for this moment? This is how it is right now. And then when we maybe turn the attention to another person, we might, um, for example, I have four grown children, and I use as... uh, equanimity phrase about them or towards them, I say, this is the unfolding of your journey. All beings have their own journey. So it's like helping me understand, okay, I can't control your journey. I'm going to do everything I can to support and help you, but I can't control it. All beings have their own journey. So packed into that, those phrases are a lot of loving-kindness. It's not devoid of metta. It's full of loving-kindness. So don't think that these phrases are just dry, kind of, okay, you know, just um, 
deal with it. No, it's, it's not that kind of a phrase. It's more like, this is how it is right now, filled with uh, caring and support. The support comes because we have a deep inner strength to open to life as it is, not as we think it should be. We can do our best to have it go in that direction, but when it's unfolding in the way it is, Right now, can we open to that? That's what equanimity is asking us to do, opening to it with some balance, some sense of spaciousness, some sense of ease. Okay, so let's do the practice now. So the progression of equanimity is different from metta. We'll start with the neutral person because that's where we usually feel the most neutral, the most uh, balanced. We're not so connected. That's why we feel that way. Then to a dear friend, a benefactor, a difficult person, and oneself. But I'll be guiding you but just to know it's a different progression. So we begin again by bringing our attention to the body, getting grounded in the body so that we can feel our bodies, the buttocks sitting on the cushion, our hands touching wherever they are. relaxing, and bringing attention to the heart center. This is where equanimity emanates from, the heart center as well. The deep caring that inclines towards spaciousness and balance about others and ourselves. So we bring forth the neutral person to begin with. Have a sense of who it is. And with this person, what we reflect upon is that All beings experience the ups and downs of life. Though we don't know this person intimately, we know that all beings have joy and sorrow, gain and loss. They have praise and blame in their life. And so just reflecting on that universal truth And then with each phrase that we use, this phrase is more like our own understanding or our deepening understanding about this person and about life. Joy and sorrow arise and pass away for all beings. This is how it is. So keeping that neutral person in view somehow, just knowing that truth. Joy and sorrow arise and pass away.
And so now look into your own heart. How do you feel about that neutral person and the fact that joy and sorrow arise and pass away? Is there a sense of connection with that truth or disconnection? Maybe some apathy? Or not really caring? Or caring? Just truthfully knowing what's going on in your own heart. bringing a sense of spacious balance to how it is within. This is how it is right now in my own heart. May I open to this just as it is. Even if there's a sense of not knowing how it is. Just bringing a sense of spacious balance to that. Now moving on to a dear friend, someone close to you. And then once you have this clarified, remembering something about that person, about their life, their ups and downs of life, praise or blame, gain or loss, joy, sorrow, fame or disrepute. Just letting yourself reflect on that for a moment. And then staying connected with that person's situation, that person per se. Using a phrase that helps to incline your heart towards equanimity about this person. May I open to how it is for you right now with balance and more ease. All beings have their own journey. Sometimes just breathing in and out and relaxing the heart around that person. Just being more at ease about that person's situation. 
now turning our attention more specifically to what's going on in our own hearts. How does your mind-heart react or respond regarding that person's situation or that person per se? Notice if there's attachment, aversion, or any form of it, grief, or maybe there's a sense of equanimity. or just the pureness of caring. Opening to that fully. This is how it is right now in my own heart. This is the unfolding of my own journey, inner journey. Accept how it is right now. Feel free to pause once in a while without any words. Just letting the words take their effect. Breathing in and out peacefully. Now choosing someone else in the same category, someone close to us, a loved one or a friend. We may know of something they're going through. Joy or sorrow gain or loss. Stability or instability. Just letting ourselves think about that for a while. focused on their situation or that person per se, 
using again the phrase that helps you feel balanced and spacious around that situation, around this person. This is the unfolding of your journey. It's how it is right now for you. May I open to your journey with a balanced heart. When you're ready, turning your attention more specifically to your own heart and how it feels about that person. Are there judging moments or caring moments? Attachment to how you think it should be or aversion to how it is, or just okayness, just knowing how it is in your own heart. This is how it is for me right now. Joy and sorrow arise and pass away. This is part of the journey. Now moving on to a benefactor, someone who has benefited us. Many of us have elders in our lives who are going through periods of challenging health or just being hard to live in life at this time. Or there might be someone else in your life, a teacher, 
even a young one. After being clear about who this is, taking some time to reflect about this person's situation, the conditions of their life right now. This is the changing nature of life. May I open to this with balance. This is how it is right now. now turning inward to notice what our heart does around this situation. How do we feel? Is there grief or clinging to something that should be different? Is there some balance in the heart? spaciousness. Also knowing the positive or wholesome qualities that are present. May I open to how it is in my own heart. May I open to these moments just as they are.
And now keeping that person in the field of your equanimity practice. And then to one side, bring one of your loved ones. To the other side, the other loved one. And nearby, put the neutral person. Then offering all of these as a group. Offering loving kindness to all of them. Just letting your heart be at ease. Accepting the joys and sorrows of all these beings, whatever they may be. Whatever joys and sorrows exist in your life, I still offer you my loving kindness. My support for your well-being May you be peaceful and happy. And safe on your journeys. And offering to all the beings here around you, may all beings here be safe. And all of our loved ones, near and far. May you be protected in all ways. And to all beings everywhere, may all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be liberated. Do you have any questions about that? Yes, back there. You mentioned that remorse can be helpful, but guilt is less helpful. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Well, guilt is kind of a self-inflicted <laughs> aversion, and it doesn't have any thought usually about what can I do about an, an acceptance of what one did that was harmful or hurtful to another. It doesn't have that kind of reflection about it um, and that kind of openness and some equanimity around, okay, this is what happened. This is what the situation was and this is how I reacted and I could see that that caused hurt or harm. So we have an opportunity with remorse to kind of be open to that, usually when there's equanimity. And then we have some thoughts about how we can um, transform something in ourselves to do it in another way in the future. We feel remorse for what we did, and we might have some plans that we can carry out for future times when it happens like that again. But guilt is just kind of like a um, closed-down, self-inflicted... aversion to, to the whole thing. We, there's no room to even think about what happened or how we could change it for the future. Yeah. And, yes? Um, I found that I picked similar, or, or the same people, the same loved one, and empath, but, yep. but when I got to do the practice, 
Right, you could, you know, just um, something about going on in their life, something about their ups and downs of their life. Even, I mean, usually we think about something that's happening that's really difficult for them. But we can also include something that's happening that, um, say, this is kind of a far out, but say they won the lottery, right? (laughs) And we're really happy for them. And we want to share their happiness, but, you know, we see the clinging that we want to share their winnings, too, you know. <laughs> so um, there's, we start to see those different layers uh, in it. So you don't have to pick something so far out. For me, like for the benefactor, I picked one of my uh, elderly friends. She's also a benefactor, and she had broken her hip, and so she's in recovery now, but not, she's not going to fully recover. She's remaining in a wheelchair and I, I realize that I'm, I am still accepting that she's 95, and I, I don't know, even when I go home, whether she'll still be there. So there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot going on in my heart about it, but it's not exactly you know, a big grief or anything. It's, it's just kind of some vibration about in my heart. So I, I can choose something like that. Or my, my friend who has a, just got a job, and then she's been up and down in her life, in her recent life, and she just got the job, but I, I feel in my heart that I want it to last forever. I don't want her, I don't want that joy to go away, you know. Of course, we do, we do that practice in mudita, but it's, sometimes I feel so protective about her and that I don't want her to suffer, that I have this kind of clinging to, to the joy in her life right now. So we start to see that. And when we practice equanimity, we open to, okay, it's how it is for you right now. It, it may not be forever, but right now this is how it is for you. Can I open to that? Yeah. Yes. I'm going to post them. <laughs> you can go right to the board. <laughs> yeah. And also the, um, the progression and the eight vicissitudes that I have kept mentioning, praise and blame, etc. Mm. Yeah. Yes? Can you say a little bit more about taking action? Because what comes up for me when I did this practice, and even earlier I had a situation that arose for me that mm-hmm. brought up a lot of Yes. So I was doing some equanimity practice on a walk that I did earlier today. Uh huh. And what I noticed is like a powerlessness that I was starting to feel, which you mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah. Like a helplessness. Yes, but yeah. And I wonder about like how to sort out. I find that if I wait things out, which is what I usually uh huh, the power has gone out of the situation. And sometimes then I won't take action, but I'll regret not taking action for myself. Later. Right, right. So, sense. yeah, so the question is about taking action. And she finds that if she waits too long, the power goes out of her taking action. And in fact, she won't take action. She just kind of sits back on it or something. So that's something to be sensitive about. Of course, equanimity doesn't mean that we don't take action. And I'm, I am never implying that. I'm just saying... Let's just step back even for a moment to, us, to take stock of what's going on. Maybe we need to take action immediately. You know, maybe it's um, in the next moment. You know, like in, in the scriptures it says that um, if you see like a child and they've got something stuck in their throat, you don't say, oh, this is how it is right now. You know, you, you go right away and get that something out of that child's throat, you might take action immediately, or you see a truck coming when you, you know, you get out of the way. Um, so it, of course, you take action. But if, you, if you're feeling like you're waiting too long, then just having some sensitivity to the, the energy you need, and you, you use term power, 
So if you need that power to say something, then fine. But just to also to investigate, is it really energy? Or is it really like you have to express anger? Because sometimes, because we don't have enough equanimity, we can, um, we can think that it's, it's just energy or power, but it, it does have this little bit of a <clears throat> behind it. You know, like we really want to poke or do something that hurts that person. So sometimes, you know, unless we have to take action right away, um, stepping back and even for a while, you know, knowing the powerlessness that we feel, sometimes just looking at that and saying, oh, this is how it is right now. Right there, we can start getting a little more balanced and saying, okay, this is what's happening right now, but maybe some energy will rev up from just knowing that, and then we can, we can do what we need to do. And we don't need to like be all namsy-pamsy and Pollyanna about it. We can, we can speak with conviction and with, with a lot of energy in our voice or do something with a lot of energy and doesn't have to be with anger. Yeah. Yes. Every once in a while, uh, when you learn this practice, I, a lot of, some people here have told me that, oh, it comes up because we've done this practice together here before. It comes up and it, it just helps to kind of sit back a little bit more and just, so if it comes up automatically, I mean, would it be better for that to come up, those words to come up then and than other maybe four-letter words that we, <laughs> that we automatically use. That's the default setting usually that, that just comes up right away. So if we learned these words, that, that would be better to replace. Yeah. So I, I think it's fine to... It, in fact, it, it does come up quite automatically. Yeah. Um, I, I want to make sure I heard you right earlier. Did you say the, the near enemy of Then no, I actually um, I don't I, I I left that part out the oh, near okay. enemy, yeah the the direct enemy is reactivity, okay. the direct or far enemy because we can see it from afar, but the near enemy is apathy. Okay. It's not it's not caring. It's a real it's we have it a lot with the with the neutral person because we're not so connected you know and naturally we feel that, but I too much material sometimes, so I left it out. So apathy is the near enemy, and that will be on, on the paper on the board, too. Yeah. So it's good to get in touch with that, because this is called fake equanimity, when we think that, you know, I'm cool with this, but really we just, we, we don't feel connected. It's sort of like, oh, I just don't want to get near it somehow even. There's even some subtle aversion there. That's, so it's good to know what's going on inside. There's one more thing back there. Yeah. Right. Inviting that for yourself. Uh huh. It's strange for you to react to develop equanimity towards their suffering. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, that's fine if you want them to have equanimity. But also pay attention to where you're really coming from. 
yeah, if that's what comes first, that's fine. But this practice is for developing equanimity in ourselves about that person. And when we don't, when we don't have that, then we really need to develop that when we're going into grief or a strong wanting for it to be a different way for that person. Um, that's causing us kind of some imbalance inside. The, this practice is to really take a look at that and to develop that. So if you can see the efficacy of that, the benefit of that, then you might understand that it's, it's really for us to develop that. Because a lot of times we go out in the world and we want to change it out there. We want you to be happy. You know, of course we do. We want them to develop that in their own hearts. But we don't pay as much attention to how we are inside about that. We're often clinging to results. If you have true metta, yeah, I think um, you need to understand it a little more. Maybe you can talk about it later. But a lot of times this happens because we're so used to giving metta, so we can get attached to other practices too and not open our minds to a different practice because we're, we're so used to doing one practice that you know our minds are kind of bent that way that we can't see how it could be this way. So you could look at that too. One last one. Yeah. That's right. Whatever it is that's going to happen to them, because if you're there really wanting them to get better, but they're, they're sick and they're not going to get better, then your clinging doesn't really help them. Right. That's absolutely right. Sometimes what's the most powerful, you know, if, if you've ever been like in the hospital when somebody's really sick, I just remember this. and. Uh, in my own experience, and somebody comes out and says, oh, I hope, you know, that you're really okay, that you're really... But if somebody is just there with you, just quietly there, just accepting however you are in, in your, what you're going through in your own way and just opening to that, and they feel your deep balance and spaciousness for however you are, that's really deep metta right there. They can feel that. They, they're healed by your ability to be spacious and open to that. And oftentimes we're so busy trying to help out that we don't develop that in ourselves. So what you say is exactly, it's a lot of wisdom. So we'll continue tomorrow and, and we'll um, bring out other examples. Uh, and also maybe pay a little more attention to the apathy part, to the place where we're not so connected with the individual. And today we're, we were mostly on the attachment aversion part. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.